fait, j'ai voulu te, te téléphoner pour te, te demander allô quelque chose quoi Hello and welcome to Arts Week. I'm your host, Candy Hammond, and I am thrilled to welcome my guest today, New York Times bestselling author, Kristen Higgins. And she's here to talk about her latest book, A Little Ray of Sunshine, which I think, Kristen, is your 24th, am I right? I think it's 23, but I, oh, okay. I legitimately okay. lost <laughs> <laughs> I tried counting and I obviously I counted wrong. But anyway, this book, um, like her last one, um, takes place in Wellfleet and the Lower Cape. And um, so for that and many other reasons, I wanted to to talk to her. And um, so welcome, Kristen. It is always such a thrill to talk to you. And, uh, I'm so happy to be back. Thanks for having yeah. me. No, and um, we were talking before we started recording um, that I just loved this book, A Little Ray of Sunshine. And as I, I think I had you do the last time I interviewed you, I always ask authors, and I know I've, maybe I'm putting you on the spot to describe the book, but I'm always, I figure you have written synopses, you've written log lines, you, you know how to tell it without giving too much away. And I don't want to do anything to give too much away. Sure. So if you could tell listeners what this book is about. I will. This, this is the story about uh, Harlow Smith, who owns a, a mythological and beautiful bookstore in Wellfleet um, uh, with her grandfather. And mm. she uh, is working in the store one beautiful June day and into the store comes a young man and his dad. And she has this weird reaction feeling she um thinks like something there's a tremor in the forest it's the son she <laughs> placed for adoption 18 mm -hmm. years ago and she has not seen this boy she chose to close adoption she was 17 when she had him and she never told anybody in her family that she had a child so they were completely unaware of this huge defining yeah. event in her life and surprise he's just outed you <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so the book is about, you know, what it's like to keep a secret because you mm. don't, you have a role that you, you know, you identify with. And in Harlow's case, the role is she's the responsible kind of boring sister, oldest child mm -hmm. in a family of five. And when she gets pregnant, you know, right at the first semester of her uh, freshman year, like three weeks after she loses her virginity. Mm -hmm. um, she is so unprepared to have even thought about pregnancy. And, um, you know, it's not a romance if, if the birth control doesn't fail, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so she gets pregnant and chooses adoption. And, um, you know, hopes someday maybe the child will be in touch with her. Mm -hmm. um, and tries to kind of put it in this place of I'm fine. It happened. I made the right choice. Mm -hmm. Keep moving forward. And like so many people who say like, I'm fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's really She's not, not fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> so she has, uh, to redefine herself in the eyes of her family, her small town. And, um, and also, um, you know, kind of have her heart exploded open, Mm -hmm. the appearance of this child and negotiate a relationship with this nearly adult boy. Yeah, because, you know, like you, you said it so well, you know, 
when people keep saying, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Um, yeah, that's, that's a big red flag right there. And, and I think she really wasn't aware of um, how shut down she became after making that choice. And, you know, she, yeah, like you said, she, she kind of closed her heart and this, you know, breaks it open and, yeah. um, into so many things. And, and it's such a wonderful theme throughout the book, because what I love about this, and as a writer, I'm just so impressed. And I, I kept thinking, do you keep like a big storyboard or something? Or because you tell different chapters are from different characters' points of view. Right. And, and that's just so compelling because you get to see also what this, you know, this young man coming and finding her, how that feels to his adoptive parents. Right. And, um, right. And that was a huge part of the story um, because, you know, it's a book about motherhood in yeah. addition to, you know, to being a, you know, a story about a woman kind of coming into her own and making peace with her past and, you know, making room for a romantic relationship in her life. It's also about mm -hmm. being a mother and mm -hmm. Monica Patel is the adoptive mother and she, um, feels like, you know, she works so hard and tries so hard to get everything right where Matthew is concerned. They have the pre-adoption counseling. They, they read the books about, you know, the um, relinquishment trauma of, for the baby that, that they talk about in some of the literature. Mm -hmm. um, they join support groups. They make sure he has friends who are adopted. They get him a therapist if they think he needs a therapist. Mm -hmm. And still he keeps secrets from her too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he does not tell his adoptive parents that he's planning to meet his birth mother. They mm -hmm. have a lifestyle that allows them to go away for the summer. Sanjay, her husband is a teacher. So Matthew's turn to pick vacation. He picks Cape Cod and never says, um, why? <laughs> you're going to look up my birth mother there. So yeah. it's all a huge surprise for Monica. And then the other point of view character is an older woman, older mm -hmm. by, I mean, about my age. <laughs> she's, um, she's a little bit older than I am. She's in her early 60s. And she she was adopted in what's called the baby scoop era, where uh, I've never heard that term. That's interesting, I, I Kristen. I didn't either until I started yeah. researching adoption. And um, mm. so a lot of young women who got pregnant were pressured into putting the baby up for adoption. Is this like in the sixties? In it basically um, end of world war two to the seventies. Okay. Oh, wow. You know, and it's not easy to be a single mother mm -hmm. if you have the resources, let alone if you don't. Yeah. Um, so a lot of women were pressured to put up their children and they were put into Catholic family services or orphanages back when we had orphanages. And so Cynthia mm -hmm. is one of those kids. Her, her mother had her, she was placed for adoption. And a few months later, her parents, her adoptive parents came in and chose her um, out of, you know, the array of children, mm -hmm. which is how my uncle was adopted. Oh, wow. Yeah. So is that, yeah, I'm, I was curious where this whole idea came from. Did it come a bit from your own family history? 
Well, you know, we have a big family, so we have, you know, some, a little of everything in, in, in my family. I think what I wanted to write was about the, the power of keeping a secret. And when that secret Mm -hmm. is a human, right. Um, How that ripple effect spreads. I, I did want to write about adoption. I've never, um, I've, I've had one other book where the character is adopted, but she doesn't, she doesn't think on it a whole heck of a lot. She loves her adoptive parents. She's never known any other. She was adopted at birth, you know. Um, she's curious, but she's not, you know, I would say she's not like traumatized or or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this one, I really wanted to explore motherhood from the birth mother's perspective, from adoptive mother's perspective, um, and and from the daughter's experience perspective you know there's mm-hmm. a lot of moms in this book and yeah yeah um, you know her uh, harlow's sister has two children mm-hmm. uh, her mother her own mother is her mother's a little challenging in the beginning. her mother yeah. is yeah. challenging <laughs> and really like why how could you have done this without telling me yeah. i not love you well enough you and know? then you know and and manages to make a a really challenging moment in her daughter's life about her right. <laughs> you know? right. And that's, you know, not unusual, unfortunately. <laughs> I, you know, as, as a mom of, of adults myself, I think, you know, I, I would be so sad to think that my child went through something so devastating without mm-hmm. asking for help. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I, you know, even though the mom Ellie is a bit challenging, I do <laughs> feel for her too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, it is so wonderful. And I, you know, obviously, you know, and, and I was telling you before we started recording that I like Monica, the adoptive mother, and that's, I'm an adoptive mother and a birth mother. And so I just, I found it so, um, so spot on and, you know, really, really well, well told. And um, because that's not a story that we necessarily hear a lot about. Well, you know, it was, it was interesting when I started researching the book, I wanted to present a very positive adoption story. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and uh, as I wrote it, um, and and when my um, agent and editor read it, they thought, this might be a little too rosy of Mm -hmm. of an adoption story. And And I, you know, in doing my research, I was like, are there any happy adoption stories? Like, you know, there's so many memoirs about finding out you were adopted, you know, Mm -hmm. the birth of the ancestry sites and the DNA sites, you find out like, oh my God, my father wasn't my biological father. And Mm you throw into it, you know, a crisis of identity in some cases. And, um, and I, I wanted to accurately represent what it is to be adopted and mm-hmm. and I found um this wonderful podcast the um called the making of me and oh, I've never heard of it it's um adoption the making of me oh, and wow. it's told from two women who were adopted and they're in their um maybe 40s and 50s and they have um they discuss one of the books kind of the seminal books about adoption which is called the primal wound that says yeah a baby knows that that they're not with the mother in whom they grew. Mm-hmm. And so it's a it's kind of a controversial theory 
Um, but they, their message is, you know, we, we have an experience and whatever that is, we deserve to be heard because there's this narrative in adoption of like, you're so lucky to be adopted. You know, you weren't aborted mm-hmm. and you, you, mm-hmm. you, were you were chosen, parents, yeah. you were chosen and, yeah. you know, plucked from worse circumstances perhaps, mm-hmm. or out of the foster care system. Aren't you lucky? Yeah. And what I learned from, you know, not just Sarah and Louise, but from a lot of the books and stuff is, maybe they don't feel so lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, this was not something they had a choice in right. and they didn't choose their parents. Maybe the birth mother did, maybe the system mm-hmm. did. Um, but they have a lot of mixed feelings at the very least to wonder about where do I fully belong? Mm-hmm. Do I look like my parents? In Matthew's case, in the book, he does. And it kind of irritates him sometimes, you know, he's like, well, interracial adoptions, at least people know, you know, and I have to tell everybody I'm adopted, I'm adopted, but you know, I have the same color hair as my dad. And so everybody thinks mm-hmm. we're, we're related. And, um, and then with the birth family, you can also feel, you know, if you, if you meet them and even under the best of circumstances, when they're so happy to be reunited with you, you think I didn't get to grow up with you. I don't know you guys mm-hmm. either. So you're kind of in two different worlds and you're yeah. not hundred percent in either. Yeah. And that was something that I explored in the book with Matthew's experiences, mm-hmm. you know? No. And, you know, as I said to you, you know, and I won't belabor this about me, but yeah, my daughter was born in Korea. And so when she went away to college, her roommate who was Chinese American asked her, I was like, when did you know you were adopted? And she said, uh, when I looked in the mirror. <laughs> right. Yeah. I've got my blonde mom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, there have been times when she and I have been someplace together when she was younger and people would say, are you two together? And she's like, no, I just decided to go on to this random Caucasian woman. <laughs> <laughs> At least she has a great sense of humor. She has a great sense of humor. <laughs> but, um, but no, you did uh, just such a compelling job. And I just want to reintroduce you um, for anybody who's just tuning in. Um, we're talking with Kristen Higgins about her new book. Um, a little ray of sunshine, which is out on the sixth, I think, yes. of June. Yep. Yes. So, no, and so you know, this is your second book that takes place on the Cape, and it's actually a few. Or, of my no, books. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Okay, no, it's the second my in first, a row. My very I first guess. book was set in East Ham. And, oh, okay. Um, and in Pack Up the Moon, um, That's they right. spent That's some right. time in Wellfleet as well. Okay. And uh, but. But writing Out of the Clear Blue Sky, uh, which came out last year, I really wanted to write in a place that I love and know so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my family owns a house in East Ham, and I've been um, coming to the Cape since literally since, you know, I was in utero. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I spend now I spend, you know, a, probably a third to half of the year on the Cape, usually in the off season to avoid uh-huh. traffic on Route 6. Favorite <laughs> time of year. Yes. <laughs> no, um, but you do such a beautiful job of portraying the Cape in such a great way without, you know, it's funny because I feel like we've got 
such disparities. Sometimes we've got things like the series High Town, which makes it look like, you know, it's this drug addled, you know, <laughs> horrible place. And then people then over romanticize too, you know, but yeah. you, I think you paint a very realistic and lovely, you know, portrait of mm. the Cape in your books. Yeah. And I mean, the Cape is all about this uh, symbiosis of the locals and the tourists, right? Mm -hmm. and so many places in America are, but, yeah. you know, Cape Cod exists on tourism and that's mm -hmm. the economy. And, um, and, you know, and yet I, I know I feel, you know, even as an as a non-residential homeowner, I feel grumpy about the tourists <laughs> taking a spot at the beach and, you know, um, and, you mm -hmm. know, not being able to get into the restaurants that I, I want to eat at and that kind of thing. Or but, being snippy with the teenagers serving their ice cream or something. Yeah, I know, I know. Those are the things that get to me. Yeah. And I've been um, that teenager. I <laughs> waited tables and cleaned motel rooms on the Cape many, many yep. times you know always uh, always good work you know good yeah I always say uh I think every human should have to work in the food industry or the totally yep and retail retail is good retail, too exactly. so you're not yeah. rude to people that work behind no all three of my kids worked at restaurants on the Cape mm -hmm. and did all kinds of service stuff and and they're all very nice people and very polite when they go out. <laughs> I, don't no, I think it should be a requisite. <laughs> right? It teaches you to respect the people who do the jobs, you know. Totally, uh, totally. Yeah. And to understand what that's like. And, um, so, um, you know, I'm I'm curious, well, you know, you are, you know, you do generally like a book a year, is that? Yes. Uh, and that is just... You know, as a as a writer, I'm just so amazed. I mean, in, in following you on social media, I've been seeing that you're, you know, heavily into the next one already. And I'm like, what is that like? It's like you're trying to promote this one and talk about it and all the characters, and then you've got a head full of all these new characters and plot. And yeah, I mean, it is definitely an embarrassment of riches in yes. respects. I have the privilege of being published. Mm -hmm. every year um and a book a year seems like a lot to yeah. some people but in the um in the circles that I run and it's it's kind of standard yes so, um I came out of romantic comedy and romance and um you know I have friends who write three five books a year regularly which wow. I, I've never been able to understand I think um, when I was writing um, a series with a very closely connected characters and family, uh, I could write a little faster. And mm -hmm. when I was writing romance, you know, um, so I wrote two books a year for a time, but I, yeah. one is hard, to be honest, I, I yeah. find. Well, your books, as we were joking, you know, they, they are not short. I think <laughs> no. what little, little ray of sunshine is, what does it come in at? You know, it's 547 pages <laughs> or something. I always say like you. 27, maybe. You get, you get a, a bang for your <laughs> Yes, you, you do. A little weak 300 pager, you know. <laughs> um, I, um, yeah, they are long and they are. But they're compelling. I could not wait. Yeah. I'm a go to bed and read person. So when, when I would get into bed every night, I was so excited to. Oh, thank you. To, 
Yeah, you know, so, you know, you get a chunky paperback or hardcover and you also get a weapon. Like, you know, if there's... (laughs) You hear a noise downstairs, you know, (laughs) you can yell, I've got a Kristen Higgins book in my hand. (laughs) Back off. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm curious because, I mean, I do not write books that are as long as yours. I mean, how long does it take you to do a first draft? Um... The first draft is my least favorite part of writing. So I try to put it off as long as I can. <laughs> I I like to research my issue. Um, I like to have some kind of outline for the book. I was going to ask you that. Are you a plotter, plotter or a pantser? Yeah. Okay, you're and a you know, plotter. in this book, you could say I used a trope of a secret baby, which is, you yeah. know, a beloved story of, oops, I had a baby or yeah. oops, pregnant. Um and somebody learns that they're a parent. Um, so I wanted to kind of uh, explore that, the, the um, child who didn't plan. Mm-hmm. And, and I also wanted to, as I said earlier, talk about the, the corrosive nature of secrets. Mm-hmm. And, and also as with all my books, I wanted to have a romantic storyline in there mm-hmm. and so to make things more difficult I made Grady um a single dad mm-hmm. because children are complicated for Harlow right. and should she attempt to become involved in a child's life knowing what she knows about you know what kind of sponges children are and what mm-hmm. if she messes up this child what if it doesn't work between her and Grady and um and also Grady is an old friend so we have that nice friends to lovers trope right right right. um so I do like to um have several storylines going on concurrently Mm -hmm. oh you're so good at it really (laughs) I am in awe of your ability to do that thanks thanks well so we have we have a little um we have Cynthia's story, the, the 63 mm-hmm. year old adoptee and who's um, a cousin by, I guess, some like third cousin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and you've got the grand grandpa. Oh, I love yep. grandpa. Grandpa grand- is the best. Yeah. Yes. 90 year old grandpa who was uh, helping. She, he runs the store with Harlow and yeah. he's like, well, fleet's most beloved citizen. And, yes. Um, <laughs> and uh and quite the bachelor about town right right he decides you know several years after his wife's death that he would like to be married again and asks Mm -hmm. his grandchildren to be his wingmen and I Mm -hmm. love those scenes and just a joy yes I do love these multi-generational casts that I do because you know mm-hmm. I love old folks I love yeah and that's I, life I, you I know, even love teenagers <laughs> yeah I do too I do too I love teenagers so. mm-hmm. So yeah, I think so the, the book kind of, I don't plan for it to be a certain length, but they end up being about 115,000 words. Um, and a full length novel, I think is considered above 75. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, again, oh. you get a bang for your buck here. <laughs> no, it's, um, so I, I was, you wrote, I mean, we've got about five minutes left and I, I wanted to, you write, if people, um, they should go to your website um, and subscribe to your newsletter because you write these wonderful, humorous newsletters and um, and it's kristenhiggins.com, right? Yes. And it's Kristen with an A-N um, for those uninitiated. 
Um, but the latest one, it made me as, as another writer, just laugh out loud. when you were talking about when people ask you about well, you were joking about the glamour quote unquote, of being a writer. And, and I just, I saw on social media, a picture of you with your like pajamas and a blanket and (laughs) the hair, the glasses. Yeah. That's I, I love, I love my job. I feel so lucky that, you know, any random couch is my office. And, you know, I, it's, it's like the best thing and the worst thing you can work anywhere and you can work all the time at any hour. Um, And do you do that? Do you work or do you, do you keep office hours or do you have a page a day or a word count a day? I don't, I, I try to, I work every day in that I'm always thinking about a book or Mm -hmm. working on things like, you know, interviews or, um, you know, articles to write, um, or social media, you know, those kind of things can be very time consuming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I think about the book every day. And then when I write, I try to finish a scene. Okay. So, so you it might do it by scenes, chapter, yeah. but it's kind of scene by scene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for those of your listeners who, who are thinking about writing a book or, you know, are in the midst of one, uh, there's no way to do it. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. There's the way that works for you. Mm-hmm. And so if it's like, I must write a thousand words a day, or right. I must write um, <clears throat> two pages a day or work mm-hmm. for three hours a day. If that's working for you, then yeah. that's working for you. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're so right because I follow many writers on social media and some, you know, are like, I do 10,000 words a day or whatever. And I'm just like, what? I just, yeah. there's no way I, that doesn't work for my brain. And I mean, there um, are days when I have done that and mm-hmm. there are months when I'll write like half the book mm-hmm. in a month. Um, but I couldn't get to that spot without all the months leading up to that. I can't just sit down and write a book in a month or a book in two months. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, it, I really admire and envy the authors who can. I was, I was having, um, I had a lovely visit with Melissa Foster, who's also. I, yeah, I was just thinking of her. Kristen. Yeah, <laughs> Melissa, know. you're killing she, us, right? I know she does. She, I, I know. I feel like she's a such five a loser person. Five. Oh my god. Yeah, she writes. You know, for anybody who doesn't know her, you should check her out. She writes. You know, wonderful romances and. She just, yeah, her butt is always in that chair. (laughs) Very prolific and very very disciplined, I think. And again, that that it's working for her and my Mm -hmm. one book a a year is working for me. So um, no, everybody's going to find their book a year, you know, you you don't write as quickly, but it's, um, I just want to be encouraging to people. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. You know, if you think Um, you have a book idea in you, you owe it to yourself to give it a shot. Yeah, no, I love that. No, it's well, before I let you go, um, you have a book tour coming up and you're doing a couple of local events, which is wonderful. Yes. Let's Um, see. I will be in East Ham on the 27th at the East Ham public library and on the 7th of June. Okay. Yes. And, um, what time is that Krista? Uh, uh, is at 6 p.m. according to my, okay. my calendar. And so that will be a, um, a talk and kind of a Q&A mm-hmm. and maybe some writing advice if folks are interested. And then I'll be at 
Brewster Bookstore on July 18th. Yes, July 18th at 6.30. And then at Weequasset in beautiful Harwich at um, a book luncheon sponsored by um, Where the Sidewalk Ends. Well, I'm so glad that you're going to be doing some local things. And um, and I just I, I just always love talking to you and you're just always so gracious and lovely and I love your books. And Thank you, Andy. Um, so, you know, if anybody wants more information, you can just go to kristenhiggins.com and you can sign up, like I said, for her awesome newsletter. And you're, you know, you're very active on social media and people can find you on Facebook and Instagram and um, so you're you're easy to find and yes. I've been you now I've been lucky enough you know since I've been interviewing you a bit to get your newer books but I've been going back and you know reading some that you know our lovely local libraries have too oh, so wonderful. you can continue to find here so thank you and good luck with um, a little ray of sunshine and I encourage everybody to read it because it really it is lovely and and it's very fun to see you know, things like the land hoe and stuff in a, in a book. It's very, very book. So good luck with it. I hope thank you. I'm sure it's going to do you. well. So, well, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time on Arts Week. Au fait, j'ai voulu te téléphoner pour te demander allô quelque chose quoi.